So tonight we're looking at Luke chapter 7. A preacher friend of mine one, side, one time said the book of Luke by mistake. And uh, instead of the book of Luke, but we're going to look at a great, great passage of scripture. Luke chapter 7 verses 29 through 35. Luke 7, 29 through 35. And stand up because you've been seated a while. And uh, we'll read some of this right now. Luke chapter 7, verse 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto then I liken the men of this generation and to what they are like. They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath the devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless us as we study his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for being awesome. Being such a great God that you sent a Savior to redeem us out of our sinfulness, to save us from sin. And one day, Lord, we'll be free of sin entirely, even the presence of sin. We look forward to that. Bless us tonight as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, we're looking at parables. This is the third Galilean parable. We're looking at them in order. They're identified by the words like, the words as. We'll find that in our text tonight. They're often told, parables are non-fictional stories, often told, or fictional stories often told to illustrate truth. So they're made-up stories, but to illustrate truth. And the purpose was to conceal them uh, from the Pharisees, but yet to reveal the truth to the Lord's followers. Tonight, we're looking at the parable of the children in the marketplace and some interesting things here, and we want to learn what God has for us. We're going to look at this parable from Luke's perspective. Last week, we looked at one from Matthew's perspective. Luke's name means bringer of knowledge or light. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. A Gentile, and he was a physician. He presents Christ as the Son of Man. He would travel with Paul on Paul's second missionary journey. We know that he uh, records 20 miracles. And it must have been fascinating for a physician to record miracles about healing. Can you imagine that? He couldn't explain it, but God inspired him to write about these miracles that medically he could not explain. He also records 23 parables. 18 of these parables are unique to Luke. In other words, we'll look at at least 18 parables that only Luke gives us plus some that he's more thorough like this one than other writers. And uh, we know Luke also wrote the book of Acts. The reason for this parable, well, the Pharisees had rejected John the Baptist's message. While he was here as a forerunner of Christ, they rejected him. Now, had they accepted the message, the kingdom would have been ushered in right then. That's the message, the message of the kingdom. John was pre presenting Jesus as a king and his kingdom. He wanted to usher it in. 
and look at Matthew with me, chapter 11. We learn from Matthew 11 that had they accepted Jesus, or I mean, excuse me, the message of John, had they accepted this message and accepted Jesus as king, then John, or excuse me, then John the Baptist, let me clarify, then John the Baptist would have been their Elijah. Isn't that interesting? Now we know Elijah is still going to come before the millennial kingdom. But had they accepted John the Baptist, he would have been the Elijah, the forerunner of Christ. And the kingdom would have been set up and ushered in. Think of that. But God in his forethought knowledge knew the Jews would reject Jesus as king, crucify him. And, and we're thankful for that because we have now been grafted in. We've received the gospel and we're part uh, of the church. And one day we'll be part of that millennial kingdom. Isn't that great? So God in his foreknowledge knew they'd reject him. But think of this. Look at Ma Matthew 11, 12 to 15. Fascinating. It says here, Verily I say unto you, among them that were born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding he is the least in the kingdom of heaven, or notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When we're in the kingdom, remember, we are perfect. And John the Baptist wasn't yet perfect, but as far as men born of women, sinful men, he was a great man. Scripture clearly says that. And from the days of John the Baptist, even now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets of the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. So had they said, we're going to accept John's message, or we're going to accept Jesus as king, the kingdom would have been ushered in, and we would have never been born. Think of that. But God knew. God knew they'd reject him. One day they would be saved, 144,000 Jews, that means a minimum of 12,000 from each tribe, will be saved. And that's, that's going to be something. And the Bible says those 144,000 will become preachers and mass Gentile, there'll be a huge Gentile worldwide revival because those 144,000 will be preachers. So one day there's going to be a lot of Jews saved. Uh, not many are saved today, but some are. And my boss who's been coming, the one who started our mission is a, is a Jewish man who was converted. A lady witnessed him when he was a young man. He got saved and went to Bible college and preaches the gospel of Jesus. So we know that he would have been their Elijah, meaning he would have been the one that introduced the king and the kingdom would have been established. Now back to Luke. Thank God that the gospel is offered to the Gentiles. Now Jesus points out their childish response of the Jews and the Jewish leaders to uh, John's message. So the reason for the parables is, is to, uh, or the reason for, for this parable is to point out the childishness of the Jewish, Jewish leaders. And we pick up now in, here at the, where it says the lesson of the parable. The, the publicans, which were the tax collectors, were considered by the Pharisees to be, Pharisees to be the worst kind of people. The publicans compromised with the Romans, and now in their sinfulness, they were bad people. They overcharged people. They took advantage of the system. They helped the Romans. They made themselves rich. They were hated and despised because they were considered to be compromisers. But guess who got saved when Jesus came? Publicans. And so they become children of God. But they're, they're just looked down upon. 
And they submitted to this baptism saying, we want to accept this Jesus as our king. We believe he's the king of kings. So they submitted and they were baptized under John's baptism. And remember, John's baptism is not the same as our baptism. Okay, that was a baptism to accept Jesus as king. Uh, we, uh, after the cross, we baptize and recognize the death, burial, and resurrection. So we are baptized and we become part of the church. And so in Acts chapter 19, we need to turn there, I think, so some of you understand this. In Acts chapter 19, verses 3 to 5, we know that John's followers were rebaptized when the church was established because they were baptized for a different purpose. If we have someone come to this church who says, I'm from a denomination that believes baptism saves us, me and I, I've been saved and I want to be a part of Anchor Hope, we'll say, well, you need to be baptized. Why do you say that, Brother Dan? Because if their baptism was not recognizing the death, burial, and resurrection and identifying with Christ in that way, they need to be rebaptized. They, if they say, well, I was baptized, baptism saved me, we'll say to them, you're saved by faith alone. You're saved by grace, not any work or any you know, any of the two ordinances didn't save you. You have to be born again and then after. Believe and then be baptized. So we would have to rebaptize them, wouldn't we? If they, if they were baptized uh, for the wrong purpose or baptized before they were saved. Sometimes, I was preaching two weeks ago out there at Hickory Valley Road. And a lady came up and says, I need to be rebaptized. When I was baptized, I wasn't a Christian. I know I am now. And so she's going to get baptized. Because when she was baptized, she didn't know the Lord. Look at Acts 19, 3 to 5. And uh, Paul is in Ephesus. He says, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, can you imagine this day and era when, when they didn't even understand the concept of the Holy Ghost or the Trinity or any of these things? And so initially, they had to have doctrine explained to them that, that there was there were three persons and they needed to accept you know this whole concept it was all new to them and so they're explaining these doctrines and the bible says and he said unto them unto what then were you baptized and they said unto him unto john's baptism and then paul verily then said Paul, John verily baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ. But when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So all these followers of John were rebaptized unto the church and added to the church and baptized, identifying with the fact that they're identifying with a death, burial, and resurrection. And so here now we are, has this parable, and the teaching here is that, uh, you know, the, 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 the way to identify with Christ is put your faith in him and then be baptized. Now, John the baptizer was the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, which said a forerunner will come, which is John the Baptist, and will baptize. And he was the son of Elizabeth and Zacharias. He would be the last of the prophets, Scripture says. The last of the prophets, Matthew 3, 4. So after John, there were no more prophets. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, after the 400 silent years between the New and Old Testament, John comes along as a prophet, predicting the future. And he would be the last of the prophets. Now, others would still prophesy after him, but really John was called an apostle. 
He was not, his calling was not to be a prophet. He was inspired and given a vision and he wrote on the Isle of Patmos and he prophesies about the future. And we love the book of Revelation, which means apocalypse or unveiling. And it's all about the future uh, for us. So anyway, it says here, but the Pharisees uh, in our text, but the Pharisees. And um, let me just read this. They were separatists. And you have all this in your notes who believe the Torah and oral tradition. They were extremely separated people. They rejected God. They were sincere and re resisted any of the Hellenists. These were the Greeks that influenced Jews. However, all they were, although they were sincere, they were hypocritical because they tried to produce self-righteousness. Pharisees were different than the Sadducees. The Pharisees were very separated, extremely separated, uh, and, and they really depended on, as we said, oral tradition in the Torah. The Sadducees were aristocrats, very wealthy, and um, you know it's kind of a closed society. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And to remember that, you just remember sad. You see, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So here are these leaders. The lawyers were the specialist at law, and the legal teachers, the scribes, the grammar experts were writers of the law, and they're all opposing Jesus. There's some pretty influential people. You know, if, if any, any organization, whether it be a church, a Bible college, um, seminary, ever denies the inerrancy or infallibility of scripture, they lose all their credibility in the Christian world. Because that's our final authority. And we voted Sunday pretty much unanimously on some bylaws, but our Bible is still the final authority. Bylaws are needed for, you know, dealing sometimes with the state, they protect us from someone coming in and saying, well, I want to rent your facility for a wedding and you rented it to someone else. Friend of mine, I want to rent it. We say no because we believe in only one type of marriage. And then we get sued. Our bylaws protect us from that. And they protect us from other things, it's small things, big things. And they do help us because our doctrinal statement is in there and things like that. But this is the, the foundation of the church, the living, Word of God. You know, the, the church is built upon the Word of God and built upon the Lord himself. So we pick up in verse 31. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? The word liken. What does that tell us? It tells us this parable. And uh, he compares the Pharisees and the lawyers to the children of the marketplace. And there's a lot of confusing little statements in there, but let me explain to you. And in your notes, explain it well enough. But the children couldn't agree on which little games to play, and they would fuss over which game to play. They played games in the open market, and uh, but no matter what tune was played, they sat and criticized, and the Pharisees were acting like the children. They just couldn't get along. They couldn't function without conflict. The Jewish leaders were just like the children in the marketplace, discontent, not getting their own way, not happy with either of the games like the children weren't happy. And they weren't happy with John the Baptist or Jesus, just like the children weren't happy with various games. You know, sometimes people are so, uh, you know, shallow spiritually, they can't get along, no matter how thing, simple things are. I mean, I, I've raised five kids, and there were times we'd travel, and you'd say, well, where do you want to eat? And with four sons, I'd get four different answers. 
All right, can we agree on a restaurant? We may finally get it narrowed down to three restaurants. So we would sometimes take advantage of that and say, well, since you can't agree, we're gonna pick something. That was easy, because we could easily pick something. But it's like that in, in, in sometimes in, in Christian circles, here it was like that. They couldn't get along, they fussed and they fought. And, uh, and we know that Jesus and John were completely different, but they didn't like either one of them. The reason they didn't like them is because they were lost and they were preaching repentance. John was very unsocial. Jesus, of course, socialized with people. He sat down and ate with sinners. Did you know that? He ate with drunkards and no doubt he evangelized them. And he was a very social person. He ate and he drank. Uh, John didn't eat their food. He had a diet which consisted of things he got used to eating out in the wild, honey and locust. And, you know, you can imagine eating what he ate. He preached repentance, and that's all he preached was repentance and the kingdom is here. Repentance and the kingdom is here. And Jesus, of course, preached lots of things, but primarily he preached more of a love-focused preaching that God loved them and sent him to seek and to save that which were lost. That's what, in fact, that's the commission he passed on. He said, now you do what God told me to do, seek and to save sinners. So John preached a different gospel and baptized differently. And uh, we know that Jesus came and preached a little bit different message than John. But neither one of them made the hypocrites happy, but they were both doing the right thing. Amen? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 21. They accused John and John the Baptist and Jesus of sinning. But look at John, not John, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 20. I'm a little tired. If you see me struggling, I was in the hospital till about 2.30 this morning. I had uh, uh, an infection, a tract infection, what they call it. I wasn't going to give you too much information, but so I, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. So I'm sitting here thinking, Lord, I need your help to get through this because I can't think. You probably say, well, we're used to you not thinking. We hear you all the time. But uh, let's look at 21.20. I got home around 2.33 in the morning. But it says here in chapter 21, verse 20, And they say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. That's a prophetic statement. It's about the prophets talking about their, some of their people being gluttons and drunkards. And that's a prophecy talking about when John the Baptist and Jesus would come. Isaiah talks about the forerunner John the Baptist coming. And of course, a lot of the Jews didn't accept John the Baptist. Some did. They accepted that Jesus was the Messiah. When, when John saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He said, I'm not worthy even to carry his sandals. So then we back to our text. And it says here, But wisdom, uh, literally the word wisdom is the word sophia. Our word sophisticated comes from that. And the word sophisticated in our day isn't really used in the same way. We talk about someone being sophisticated today. We'll talk, we mean sort of they're uppity and rich and sometimes almost implied that they're arrogant or hard to even communicate with. But the actual word wisdom, that's the Greek word, but the word wisdom is really much, much deeper and richer than that. In fact, Proverbs, 
personifies wisdom as a woman, doesn't it? Talks about her and she and uses a feminine pronouns and talks about, you know, in Proverbs, all through the book of Proverbs, the, it talks about wisdom. Wisdom's, wisdom's methods are justified. and Wisdom knew the real reason to mourn and some, some of these things that are said here. But wisdom is justified of all her children, verse 35. And, and, and so you're given the explanation here that wisdom has the answers. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. People who don't know God cannot have biblical wisdom. They can have intelligence. But wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, Proverbs 9 10. And as safe people, we have discernment and wisdom in our lives that helps us through so many situations. And the world doesn't have that. You see, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And a lot of times you don't have an answer and you'll pray about something and all of a sudden a light will go off inside. And that God-given wisdom gives you an answer. How do I deal with this? Thank you, Lord. I've had some prayer answered this week. And I was just able to praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that some prayer was answered in my life. God gave me wisdom in how to deal with situations. And I need wisdom every day. I love the song, I need thee every hour. I mean, without God, I'm the biggest idiot on the planet. But with God, I have that spirit living in me and giving me ideas and helping me. The only thing I ever do that's any good is because of God. So I've stumbled through this tonight, but we're going to go ahead and fill in the blanks here. First of all, the application to your life. The first question, have you accepted the salvation message, the truth of the New Testament, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, he was buried and rose again. Have you accepted that message? And I hope the answer is yes. But if it's not, see me afterwards. Or see one of the church leaders and say, I need to be saved. And we'll take the gospel and show you how to be saved. And let me just say this. Anytime anyone wants to come to this altar, come. Doesn't matter what we're doing. If you need to be saved, if there's something urgent in your life, just get out here. And just call me down if you need to. Because we want you to be born again and never put off that decision. And so, first of all, have you received that message? And I hope the answer is yes. Have you been baptized as a believer? If you're baptized a long time ago before you're a believer, then you need to be baptized. You were just dipped back then. You were just put under water back then. Because baptism identifies you with what's happened in your life, your salvation experience. You know, being going under water doesn't justify anything. Baptism's never saved anyone. So if you've never been baptized since your conversion experience, it's time to be baptized. And we know the method of baptism, uh, we see clearly. John 3, 23, it says they were baptizing near Enon because there was much water there. Matthew 3, 16, Jesus came up out of the water. The sea captain that was sinking cried, Baptizio, Baptizio, the Greek sea captain, which means I'm sinking, I'm sinking. Baptism is a type of burial, and we don't bury someone with a few drops of water. We, it, a burial is going down under and being covered completely. When I was first uh, baptized, we baptized in the Panama Canal, 
I was baptizing my son. He's Isaiah, he's about six years old, and the guy hollered, hey, you shouldn't be baptizing down there. Last week I came and ate a black lab, a dog. And I, I said, all right, we'll, we'll remember that, and I will have finished the service. But uh, I, I remember those days, and I remember that we had a lady one time, and I couldn't get her under. And I was struggling. I learned from then on to have an assistant. <laughs> and uh, air was filling up her baptismal ground, and she floating. And I was having a time trying to get her under because you do want, you don't want to drown them, but you want to, it needs to pitch your barrel. And if their arms are up and their legs are up, and I mean, it was a sideshow for sure. And we have a lot of funny stories I can tell you. Another time we had a Panamanian girl named Lisa saved, and um, she went to the restroom to get changed before we recognized, because we have gowns, and she, brand new believer, she came out dressed like someone really very dressed for the beach, you know. I'm ready, Pastor! And everybody's like, oh, you know, we had some funny experiences. But that lady wouldn't go under. So I had to do it again. And finally, after a few, two or three tries, we got her under. <laughs> Those are funny things. And, 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 you know, as a young pastor, I wanted to make sure she went under. And uh, I didn't drown her. But I think the next one in line probably was thinking, no, it didn't drown me. Uh, you know, because uh, it was challenging. In Okinawa, after 10 years in Panama, we, the, we turned the building in Parsonage over to the Panamanians to start a church because the canal closed in 93, the Atlantic side. I was called to Okinawa, and we baptized every Sunday night for seven years. Can you imagine that? And uh, I had a back problem for a while, so I had my associate take over baptizing. We had so many baptisms, it was, baptisms would wear you out. I mean, we had as many as 12 people some Sundays on baptizing people. You know why? Our people evangelized. The fields were wet into harvest. Those GIs away from mom and dad and away from home were open to the gospel. And so evangelism in our church, we had 50, 60 people every Thursday night on visitation. We had seven different cooking teams. Each week another team would cook, then afterwards they'd babysit and help with homework, and all of us would go out visiting. Very successful. And in stateside churches, we don't hardly even have visitation because, you know, everybody's heard, and it is kind of discouraging when you knock on 10 doors in a row. I was saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, and maybe one in 10 even goes to church. Everybody's saved in North Georgia. At least they say they are. But old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I have to question, are all these people truly born again? And I've gotten way off the subject. But um, anyway, we know Romans says, buried with him in baptism. So we know the method of baptism is clearly burial. And that's what it means. All right, do you accept various methods of ministry? The reason I ask this is sometimes... We don't accept anyone that does anything different than we do. And I'm not talking about the method of baptism. There's only one way to baptize us to immerse. But I think sometimes in our little Baptist world, if we see someone do something different, we don't like it and we criticize even though it's not wrong. I've learned to observe other pastors and get ideas. And I used to go to pastors' fellowships and talk. And, you know, Sometimes we're so narrow-minded, you know, that we're, we're a hindrance to the work of God. I mean, what would happen if some Sunday I just got up and preached, and then after preaching we had an imitation, and then we sang for 30 minutes? I'm not going to do that, probably. 
but could you handle change? And, and we are so against different methodology. And I think we have to be careful. If you notice that the reason I say that Jesus' method and John's method were different. Just read their preaching and read what they said and read the results of what they did. Completely different ministries, different methods. And I, I, I lead into this next question, which is vitally important. Do you appreciate the various spiritual gifts in the lives of other Christians? If I teach on spiritual gifts, I'll elaborate and I'll point out how that different people in the church have different spiritual gifts. I know what mine are. One of them is a teacher. You, you must know that by now, that that's my gift. And I have a friend, he's a prophet. And he told me one time, Brother Dan, I am too quick to criticize teachers because I like to just, rah, 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 you're going to hell, and I hate that. And he said, I like that, and I do that every time I preach. And then a guy gets up like you and teaches, and I'm like, that's liberal. Yeah, we're friends, you know, so he could say that to me. And, and sometimes the person that has the gift of mercy is often criticized or, oh, you, what are you treating them like babies for? You, know, you go up to the hospital, poor little old you, what are you doing? You need to get up out of that bed and get back to work. They're just lazy. You see the difference? A person that's gifted prophecy looks at everything as black and white, and they're not really good at going to the hospitals and sympathizing with sick people. So we all have different gifts. And as Christians, when you're in church, you recognize that everyone here is different. We have to respect each other's spiritual gift and appreciate it. We need some prophets in the church. Because when you have a few prophets in the church, sin's not going to be tolerated. They're going to speak up and say, hey, I, this is going on here. Pastor, we need to deal with it. Okay. You know. And you need some people that have the gift of hospitality in the church. So that when new members come or new families visit, invite them to your house. And all these people are vitally important. So we learn that differences in, 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 in Jesus and John the Baptist, but look at the disciples. Unbelievable differences, aren't there? Compare John, the one Jesus loved, with Peter. So, much, so, so different, and yet both were mightily used. Peter and Paul clashed sometimes, but both were used mightily. So, you know, do you accept various methods of ministry? Do you appreciate various gifts? Do you criticize people who use different methods than you're accustomed to? Don't do that. I've known people that have won souls in so many different ways, I've always thought, I never thought of that. When I was a young pastor, I probably criticized it because it wasn't the way I did it. But I mean, it's great to see people soul winning. And Paul even said, look, if they're soul winning, they're on the same team as us. Even if we don't agree on every little thing. Hey, thank God that their soul saved the church down the road. And maybe they're doing it by driving a bus and giving tons of candy to get the kids on the bus. People are being saved. Praise God about that. Whether we have a bus and give a lot of candy or not. And so we all have to just learn to be a little flexible. And that helps the church grow it helps the church mature, and God will send different people our way. I mean, I'm thankful for people who are different than I am because it would be very boring if everyone were like me. So don't criticize. Then I have here, explain how John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry is different. And I wrote down here, 
John lived in solitude. He introduced a king and a kingdom. He baptized unto the kingdom. Jesus mingled amongst the people. He founded the New Testament church and he called the apostles. And I don't even know what I'm going to preach Sunday. I've been studying two messages, <laughs> two passages. And I'm kind of prepared with both, but I'm going to either be in Romans 8 or Matthew 10, and I just don't know. I don't have peace yet. The Lord sometimes doesn't let me have peace till Saturday night, but, um, you know, I used to use PowerPoint every time I preached. I decided not to use it here because you're not accustomed to it, but, and we would have fill in the blanks, but for a while up in Saudi, I did it for, I did it for eight years and seven months. People would be more concerned about filling in the blanks sometimes than listening to the preaching, so I said, I'm not going to do it at Anchor Hope. If you need notes, I'll provide them for you for any message I preach. But, you know, that's, again, we're talking about different methods, different methods. But God, will, I just want God to always give me total peace about the passage that I've prepared. And if I don't have peace, I'm preparing something else that's been on my mind. And I've got two things going, but God will clear it up for me by Sunday. And we'll trust him for it. But my methods are different than Brother Brian's. And Brother Brian's a good guy. And we're not going back there and, and, and talking about anything of the past. I'm just saying we're different. That doesn't mean he's wrong and I'm right, or I'm right and he's wrong. I think I said it the same way. It doesn't mean I'm wrong and he's right or vice versa. You know, and, and so if in, when we're ready to call a pastor and we call someone, he's not going to be like me. He's going to be unique and special. I know do things different, and that's okay. Now, we don't compromise on doctrine, do we? The fundamentals of the faith, the death, burial, resurrection. I can get, list those for you. We don't compromise on those things. We don't compromise on the deity of Christ. He is God in the flesh. He rose again. He was born of a virgin. He never sinned. He's coming again. Those things we don't compromise on. But we may differ on some little issues, and that's okay. Then I have here, list some ways you've been critical of churches and Christians who do things differently than you would, and that's what you do when you get home. And how can you be supportive of other ministries besides your local church? Now, I'm a, I'm a storehouse tither. I preach the church needs for you to give, you know, your tithes here, and offerings here as well. But I don't think it's wrong to give to other things. I, I've supported missionaries over the years. My one son said he wants to support a missionary in every continent. And I said, son, it ain't going to happen. There's no one in Antarctica. <laughs> but, you know, we give to different things. And that's okay to give to other Christian organizations. It's okay to sponsor a child or help an orphan. That's all okay. But never, you know, stop giving. First and foremost, your systematic giving is, is local church. Read 1 Corinthians 16.2. We need to lay in stores. God has prospered your church, and we know that's biblical. But don't just rule out everything that's not anchor of hope, is what I'm saying. And I hope none of you do that. Uh, and I, I, I think it's dangerous when we get up and we preach that 100% of giving needs to come here. And I just think sometimes we have compassionate people that are going to help other things out there. And that's okay. That's okay. Give and give cheerfully. Amen. And you see a homeless man, and the Lord lays it on your heart to buy him a meal. Buy him a meal. Don't call up and ask me, is it okay if I give some money to this homeless guy? I'm going to say, what's wrong? What's wrong? Don't you have this discernment? Of course, if the Lord laid it on your heart, help the homeless guy. And so we, we get so stuffy and so, well, we're the only ones. 
that matter. This little church and none of the other churches and Christians matter. And that's a bad way to be, I mean. So realize that when you're wrong. Be supportive of other things besides your local church if God lays something or leads you in that direction. Okay? All right. Any comments or questions? Thanks for bearing with me and being patient with me tonight.